Well, it's been an, a, it's been an amazing week, hasn't it? Um, a stunning week. Uh, uh, what words would you describe it? Uh, uh, a shocking week, maybe just to mention uh, a few words, uh, a new direction for our country. But as I begin to think about not only what was before us in the election, but what remains before us as a country, I was reminded this week of the words of Job, who said in the scriptures that man is born, and his expression was, sparks fly, anybody know how it finishes? Upward. Man is born, and sparks fly upward. And the truth is, without being negative, that life is hard. Decisions are hard. I think of just even families in the life of our church who are under distress, under distress in a myriad of ways, financially, physically, maybe emotionally, spiritually. Others who know the pain of a rebellious child or even grandchild. Some of you in our midst who deal with the lingering effects of divorce or news of cancer or just sin in our life that affects every dimension of us. Obviously, as a a nation, we see the images and grief of war. We know the stark reality of terrorism. We battle the effects uh, not only here, but in many other places of earthquakes and famine and murder and injustice. And we are tempted at times to ask, whether we ask it or not, or maybe sometimes we wonder, is God in sovereign control? Is God in sovereign control? Coupled with the question put to you, not just our country, but can I trust Him? Can I trust Him? I read of a Christian husband who flew in a private plane to another city to, gave, to give his testimony in an evangelistic meeting in that city. He took a plane, taking his son with him. And on the way home, they ran into an electrical storm that caused the plane to crash. And both the father and the son were killed. And a Christian friend, in an effort to comfort the bereaved wife and mother, said one thing you can be sure of, is this person said, God had no part in this accident. God had no part in this accident. And the writer that I was reading facetiously wondered if God was apparently looking the other way when the pilot got into trouble. A sparrow cannot fall to the ground, the Bible says, without our Father's will, but apparently a plane with Christians aboard can. Are you trusting God this morning? Do you trust Him for your life? Do you trust Him for your future? Do you trust Him with your finances? Do you trust Him in your relationships? Do you trust Him in relationship to the government? Do you trust Him in relationship to children? Steve Lawson, the preacher, said this. 
He said, in the minds of some, the user-friendly God is slightly sovereign, he said. Enthroned, but he's not empowered. He's presiding, but he's not prevailing. He's trying, but he's not triumphing. He said God is pacing back and forth in heaven, wringing his hands over unfolding events on earth. And so the question would be, is this God or, to you, is God the supreme ruler of the universe exercising total control over all his works? I want to declare to you this morning that in the midst of the chaos, God is in control over all history, over all rulers, and over every single event in your life, guiding everything to its divinely appointed end for which they were created. I mean, you're probably here with me this morning and you're probably saying, yes, we affirm God's sovereignty. But I'm asking this question of you, why? Why do we believe that truth? Why do we believe that truth no matter what happens? Well, I want to show you why the Bible teaches God's sovereignty and why your hope needs to be in God and not a politician, okay? doesn't matter who won. God is in sovereign control. Of course, we're grateful if someone, one, one that we believe will protect babies and not have them be aborted. There's many things to be thankful for. But I want you to know, as I look in the Scripture, we can be encouraged. We can be hopeful. We can place our trust in God because He's in control of every event of our life and in control of every nation. And what I want to do this morning, briefly, as we prepare for the Lord's table, is look at three insights of God's sovereignty that will enable you to think right about this election and right about your life, okay? Three insights into God's sovereignty that will enable you to think right about this election and right about your life. And so to understand God's sovereignty, I want to do these three things with you. I want to show you, number one, a biblical illustration. Secondly, I want to show you a biblical definition. And then thirdly, I want to bring to you a practical application of God's sovereignty found in His Word. Okay? So here's our first insight, is this, the biblical illustration of God's sovereignty. I want to illustrate that first for you. God's sovereignty specifically, and there's different ways this is categorized, in the Word of God, but I'm going to address here His sovereignty over the nations and His sovereign rulership, if you will, over governmental affairs is unmistakably seen in the book of Daniel. Would you take your Bible this morning and look to Daniel chapter 2 just for a moment? Daniel chapter 2. And I just want to remind you of His sovereignty over nations. Of course, we're stepping into a context here, the Babylonian kingdom. Of course, Israel was carted off, if you will, into subjection into the country of Babylon where they met up with new 
uh, kings that were over them and over the nations, and one of those being Babylon. And here in chapter 2, over that kingdom was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember in chapter 2, uh, he had a dream. And nobody can interpret that dream except for Daniel. And it says in 2.19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven, and Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. And then underline this, he changes times and seasons, and he removes kingdoms and sets up kings. But that phrase there, that he removes kings and he sets up kings. In other words, God is seen in the nations as under his providential control. In other words, he's ruling them. In fact, look over at Daniel chapter 4. After there was the fiery furnace in chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar here in chapter 4 had a second dream. And again, he, no one could interpret it, and so they called for Daniel. And I'll just give you a sense of it. In verse 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven, and he proclaimed aloud and said, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze and amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. And now this, this sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end, here it is, that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. What a statement there. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar was going to find out that as great and powerful as he thought he was, that here at the end of verse 17, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Once again, expressing his sovereignty. And so that was part of the dream. And then he interpreted the dream. And then look at verse 24 of 4. It says in 424, This is the interpretation, O, o king. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you, in other words, he applies it to Nebuchadnezzar, a person, you, shall be driven among men, and your dwelling will be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time will pass over you till you know, and here's the phrase, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whom He will. In other words, He's sovereign. He was sovereign over the most powerful country in the world. 
In fact, the Jewish people were probably wondering what happened. And the truth is, is that God raised up a pagan nation called Babylon, one of the most pagan nations that there was, to judge Israel. And then as quickly as he rose, was as quickly as he was taken down. In fact, glance down in chapter 4, verse 29. That was what was decreed. It was him. But do you see the grace of God before it happened in Nebuchadnezzar? At the end of what? Twelve months. In other words, rather than repenting, rather than falling down on his knees, Nebuchadnezzar, rather than confessing his pride, he gets the dream, the dream's interpreted, and 12 months goes by in God's sovereign timetable. But look at it in 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is is this not this the great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Until you know that, here it is again. That the most high rules the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. And his hair grew as long as finger eagle's feathers. And his nails were like bird's claws. I mean imagine this guy being at the height of his power. And having that take place in his life. It's a stunning reversal of fortune. But it. It's true that God rules the heavens. One moment he is the most powerful man in the world and the next moment he is reduced to an animal-like creature on all fours. Can you imagine what his cabinet thought at that point in time? I mean, here's an amazing reversal within the sovereignty of God that the braggart of Babylon went from feeding on caviar to eating crabgrass out on the lawn. And, and then he just became animal-like. It, there's, a, there's a disease called lycanthropy, and, and I won't go into it, but that's exactly what happened to him. You say, well, what happened at the end? Well, I'll show you what happened. Look at verse 34. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. Watch this. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? He's sovereign. Listen, beloved. Every nation, every event in your life depends, as John Calvin said, on God's providence, and nothing happens, Calvin said, but what He has decreed and commanded. It's just true. In fact, go over to chapter 6. Another king was established. His name was Darius. Chapter 6 is Daniel in the lion's den. And when Daniel was 
miraculously delivered. Then King Darius, and I'm in 625, wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you, and I will make a decree that in my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. And now this, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion, it says, shall never come to an end. So God remains in sovereign control over every nation and every event. It was true then, and it's true today. Victor Hugo gives us the more modern account of Napoleon, and for some of you history buffs, and his battle at Waterloo. Big battle. And on the morning of the battle, the dictator, or they used to call him the little dictator, stood gazing upon the field of battle as he described to his commanding officer his strategy for the day's campaign. Here's what Napoleon said. He said, we will put the infantry here, we will put the cavalry there, we will put the artillery here. And Napoleon said, at the end of the day, England will be at the feet of France and Wellington will be the prisoner of Napoleon. And after a pause, the commanding officer said, quote, But we must not forget that man proposes, but God disposes. And with arrogant pride, the little dictator stretched out his body to his full height and replied, quote, I want you to understand, sir, that Napoleon proposes and Napoleon disposes. And Hugo went on to write, from that moment, Waterloo was lost. For God sent rain and hail so that the troops of Napoleon could not maneuver as he planned. And on the night of the battle, it was Napoleon who was the prisoner of Wellington and France who was at the feet of England. I mean, beloved, it is a fearful thing to be arrogant in the face of God. I just want to remind you as we come to the Lord's table that God is in control, that God is in charge, that He is the one who calls the shots, that He is the boss, that He is sovereign over the entire world. That's the biblical illustration of God's sovereignty. But let me take you to a second insight. What's a biblical definition of God's sovereignty? I mean, I think we understand it generally, but let me just push it out a little bit with you. What's a biblical definition of God's sovereignty? Well, if you're, if you're studying Scripture, and we want to be students of Scripture, God's sovereignty in the Word of God, you know, if you just think about it, refers to what attribute? There's one attribute that it's tied to. If we say that God is sovereign, and God is, it's referring and tied to God's omnipotence. In other words, here, God has unlimited power. And because He's omnipotent, He's sovereign, if you will. Or it is to say this, that He is in sovereign control over all events of nature. He's in sovereign control over all of history And beloved, he's in sovereign control over your life. His will is the final cause of all things. He is, in the scripture, king. 
And when you find that biblical language, it describes him as such that he rules, that he reigns. And you finish the sentence. He is Lord of heaven and what? Earth. Oh, yes, he rules in heaven, but the scripture says he's ruling on earth. He is the ruler of all things, and he has the right to do all things. Jerry Bridges, in his most helpful book, Trusting God, if you've not read that book, you need to read that book. But he put it this way. He said, no king, supervisor, teacher, or coach can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not first decreed Uh, to either make it happen or permit it to happen. No one can say, I will do this or that and have it happen if it is not part of God's sovereign will, end of quote. I mean, this is his sovereignty. You see scriptures such as this, and I'll just marshal them for you, okay? But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, in verse 6, you can bring that up, Mark, there it is. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? The answer is obviously yes. You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, and here's omnipotence, so that none is able to what? Withstand you. Listen, I just want to remind you that he's in perfect control. Perfect control. Psalm 47, 8 says God reigns over the, what? Nations. He's ruling today. God sits on His holy throne. In other words, He's presiding and He's even prevailing. Go to the next slide. Just a number of these I show to you. There, the Lord reigns. It's speaking that He's king, that He's ruler. He, Job 12.23, says He makes nations great. I mean, some people want to make America great. Is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. But let's be clear. He makes nations great. And he, what? Destroys them. He enlarges nations. And he leads them, what? Away. God's in sovereign control. You say, well, Scott, there's factors over it. No, I'm saying from the Word of God, He's in sovereign control with His omnipotent hand, if you will, controlling all these events. Look on, there's more scriptures. Habakkuk, for behold, I am raising up the who? The Chaldeans. I mean, if you're a Jewish person, you're going to just sit there and go, okay, He's raising up the... I mean, if you were Jewish and you were part of the nation of Israel and he said, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, which is another description of who? The Babylonians, you would have started coughing. It was the most pagan, ungodly, unruly, ruthless. I wouldn't even describe to you what they did in their military tactics. And for a Jew to hear, behold, I am. God raised up the Chaldeans. You say, why did he do that? He raised them up to punish who? Israel, and he chose to punish the apple of his eye with the most ungodly nation. So he raises them up in his sovereignty. You say, did they know Christ? Oh, no, they were the full-on pagan people that you could ever think of, and he raised them up. He raised them up. So Nebuchadnezzar said, is this not my great power? Is this not my glory? Is this not my kingdom? Is this not my majesty? And he showed God no honor, and God put him on all fours for seven years. So his hair grows out and his fingernails grow and he's, he's, he's going into a disease-like condition where he lost his mind. 
Because he's the one who raises one up and puts another down. Psalm 22. In fact, they marched through back in Habakkuk, the breath of the earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They just took everything of Israel. They just came in and demolished the temple. They did everything. And that was God doing that. That didn't just happen by chance. That didn't just happen by fate. I'm telling you, God raised them up. Psalm 22, 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules, it says there, over the nations. Psalm 75, in the next slide, it says this, not from the east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting one, putting down one and lifting up another. You say, well, uh, you know, we've come through a, a difficult eight years. Yeah? Yeah, we have. You say, but, but we care for our country. Yeah, but we, don't, we can't see what God's doing. We can't see that this could be a judgment upon our own country for what's going on. But I just want to let you know, he's in sovereign control. Listen, I wasn't fearful on the day with what happened. Maybe some of you were, and I'm not trying to be prideful. All I know is that God's ruling and God's reigning and God's in sovereign control. Amen? That doesn't mean we don't have a part. That doesn't mean we're not to be salt in the earth. That doesn't mean we're not to be involved and engaged. But I'm telling you over all of that, he's the one who puts down. He's the one who lifts up another. Proverbs 21.1, you know probably the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. And he what? He just turns it wherever he will. You say, well, Scott, then why doesn't he do this? Well, I, I know. He's God, but I trust you. I, but trust me, from the scripture, he's in sovereign control. He's in sovereign control. There's other scriptures that go on. Look at this one in Isaiah. The Lord of hosts has sworn. This is one of his promises. As I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so shall it stand. For the Lord of hosts has purposed. And who will, what? Annul it. He's omnipotent. You can't annul anything that he decrees. Next slide is Psalm 33. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Those are great statements. Listen, Augustine or Augustine, the great church father. Let me put some feet to this if you want to write this one down. Nothing happens, Augustine said, unless God wills it to happen he either permits it to happen or he brings about brings it about himself that's his sovereignty nothing happens augustine said unless god wills it to happen he either permits it to happen or he brings it about himself philip hughes great pastor said under god all things are without exception fully controlled Fully controlled. He said this, despite all appearances to the contrary. I mean, it might be that you're just thinking, hey, but, 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 but what, what? he's in full control. In other words, yes, I'm going to say it. He use, uses even wicked leaders. He uses corrupt leaders. He uses those to accomplish his sovereign purpose. Romans 13, 1, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Those are strong statements. Let me see if I can explain something to you that I think will help you. Sovereignty, see if I can explain this biblically. 
between sovereignty and his providence, okay? Sovereignty in the scripture is his right to control all things. In other words, he's sovereign. What is that? It's his right. It's his right to control all things. Providence, when you hear that, is the means by which God controls all things. So he's sovereign over all, but the means that he controls all things is through his providence. God's providence is this, is that he is active. I don't know if I can emphasize that enough. He is active in all that happens in the world and directs all things to their appointed ends. In other words, I'm making a comparison between the deist who would say God is like the great watchmaker in the sky. He built the watch. He put the parts together. But once he closes that watch, the watch just goes on until God needs to step in. In other words, he's the creator, but he's not involved. And what providence says is that he is active in all things that happen in the world and directs all things to their appointed ends. Providence, if you want to write this one down, is God arranging the circumstances of your life for his glory and for your good. And these circumstances can be a blessing and it could be as well as hardship. Let me give you an example. In other words, he's sovereign, but he's also in providential control of all the circumstances to bring about the appointed end. And I don't have time to unpack this whole thing. But God predicted in advance Pharaoh's choice to honor the butler, uh, honor the butler and hang the baker. Genesis 40. He knew what was going to happen. You say, well, what's going to happen if I interpret this dream? You remember that? No, God said, Pharaoh's going to honor the butler and he's going to hang the baker. And that's exactly what happened. He's in sovereign control, but he's providentially ordering all the details to that end. God predicted in advance that sinful men would pierce Jesus and not break one of his bones. It was foretold centuries before in Psalm 34.20 and in Zechariah 12.10. And then that was exactly what the Apostle John told us in John 19.36-37. through 37, That he would be pierced, but his bones would not be broken. In other words, he's in such sovereign control, he's going to arrange all of those details providentially for our good and for his glory. Another example is God predicted in advance that our Lord's garments would be divided at the cross. You know that. You say, where? In Psalm 22, verse 18, it said that they would divide his garments at the cross. And when you read John 19, 24, they divided his garments in the cross, at the cross. You say, what's that? That's providence. Not only he's in control, but he's providentially orchestrating every single event to their appointed end. In fact, God foreknew, beloved, the decision of the Egyptians to oppress Israel in Genesis 15 before they ever ended up in Egypt. He also foreknew the decision of Pharaoh to harden his heart in Exodus chapter 3. Listen, he's in providential control. Here's how Sproul put it. He said, in this world, and I'm pushing you on this a little bit, ruled by God, Sproul said, there are no chance events 
He said, indeed, there is no such thing as chance or fate. Chance does not exist, nor does fate exist. God is in providential control over all events of a nation, end of quote. No, no such thing as chance. No such thing as fate. I like the story of the cowboy, okay, who applied for health insurance, okay? The agent asked him, have you ever had any accidents? And the cowboy replied, well, no, I've not had any accidents. He said, a rattlesnake bit me once, and a horse did kick me in the ribs, and that laid me up for a little while, but I haven't had any accidents. And the agent said, well, wait a minute, I'm confused. A rattlesnake bit you, and a horse kicked you? Weren't those accidents? And the cowboy replied, no. They did that on purpose. I mean, I I actually think the cowboy had the right idea. Things don't just happen, beloved. Everything that occurs under the hand of a sovereign God. And once you understand that, all of life takes on a different perspective. In a universe controlled by a sovereign God, there can be no chance happenings, no luck, No mistakes, good and bad, all fall under his control. You say, well, Scott, what about Satan? Who's in charge? I don't know, you tell me. Are they in a ring boxing as a couple of heavyweight prize fighters? Or does God just barely win by a split decision? Does he win in the end? Now, certainly, we understand that It's true that Satan, it says in John 12, 31, is the ruler of this world. I understand that. He's also described in 2 Corinthians 4 as the God of this world. He's described, as you know, in Ephesians 2, 2, as the prince of the power of the air. And yet, God is described in his word as holding sovereign dominion over the world. And Peter even asserted that behind Satan, God controlled all things. And the Bible says Jesus was delivered up according. You see that one? I don't know if that, go to the next slide. I like this one. It's in Acts. He was delivered up, there it is, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of who? God. You say, but, but Satan was bringing out the assault. I said last week, Satan entered into Judas that Jesus told Judas, what you do, go do quickly. It says from that moment and so forth, and certainly we see that. But I'm telling you, when he was delivered up, the Bible says in Acts 2.23, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It says in the next verse, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servants, servant Jesus, whom you anointed. I mean, they're all gathered there. Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, watch this, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, what, to take place. He was sovereign over every element when his son was on the cross for us. Let me just encourage you, Satan's on a short leash. Revelation 20.10 says, that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. He's already been defeated by the cross. John Piper said, behind Satan's limited freedom to act is the hand of a sovereign God guiding all things for the good of his people. And so he's in control. 
Listen, let me just take you one step further. God's providence even overrules, okay, the evil intentions of man. So he said again, his providence, he's sovereign, he's providential as his means, he overrules the evil intentions of man. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, you remember Joseph's brothers? Joseph's brothers were jealous. They were filled with hate. They did wrong to him. They forced him into a pit only after wanting to kill him. And then they sold him into slavery. And yet Joseph said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? Good. He can even take the things that people have done to you and turn them into uh, his good, your good, and his glory. So then how should then the sovereignty of God affect my life, okay? Practical application. I've given you an illustration briefly of Daniel. I've given you a working definition from the Scripture and from some theologians. But third insight is the practical application of God's sovereignty. I'm not really speaking about the election today. I'm just talking about how he's in sovereign control. So how do I apply that to my life? Well, let me just make this statement. And I feel like I have to reason this one with you. Here's what I wrote in my notes. Nothing will ever enter into your life that God does not decree or allow. Nothing is going to ever enter your life that he's not sovereign over. He's sovereign even over your life whether it be a job, whether it be a ministry, whether it be a marriage, whether it be an accident, whether it be a doctor who misdiagnosed you, whether it be a grade that you didn't get that you needed to get and because you didn't get, you didn't get into this institution and then you didn't get into this institution, then you got a bad job and here you are and you got 12 kids. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Listen, here's the application that I want to press down on you. All Things work together for your what? Good. And I'm asking you, do you believe that? That's Romans 8.28. We know for those qualified that love God, that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? See, listen, when you begin to trust in the hand of a sovereign God, then you can thank him for the trial. You can thank him for the difficult job. You can thank him for the thorn in your flesh. You can thank him for a wrong diagnosis because he's masterfully orchestrating providential control in your life. You say, but pastor, I've got this thing physically. And you know, if I didn't have this thing physically, well, listen, that's you thinking. But God may have given you something for you to depend upon him in a far greater way because of that. Paul prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh would be what? Removed. And three times God said, no, my power is perfected in your what? Weakness. So listen, he's working all things. In fact, Bridges put it this way. And and, and he's talking here about people that have done things to you. He said, not only are the willful, I always have a tough time saying that word. I want to say it's, Malevolent, malevolent, malevolent. It's hard to say. Thank you. I just have a tough time. 
said not only are those acts of other people under God's sovereign control, so are the mistakes and the failures of other people. Bridges said, did another driver driver, go through a red light and strike your car and send you to the hospital with multiple fractures? Yeah. God's in control, isn't he, Nick? He's in control. In other words, you say, ah, but with that guy, he was, he was drinking. Listen, did a physician fail to detect cancer in the early stages when it would have been treatable? Maybe, but he's in control. Do you end up with an incompetent instructor in a very important course in college or an inept supervisor that blocked your career in business? Richard said it this way, all of these circumstances are under the controlling hand of a sovereign God who is working them out in our lives for our, what? Our good. And I'm asking you, do you believe that promise for your marriage? Do you believe that, believe that promise for your children? Do you believe that promise for your retirement? Do you believe that promise for your finances? Do you believe that promise for the stock market? Do you believe that promise for your health? Let me give you a few scriptures that will help you, okay? And I'm trying to be a bit pastoral here with you. They're going to come up on the screen. These are what, go go back one more on that in Isaiah, where it says, there, keep going, there it is, right there. Fear not, because he's sovereign. He says, I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will, what? Help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He just tells you, as you apply this truth, fear not. Fear not. You know, I've been as a pastor for a number of years and I say this very carefully to you. You know, there's people who are anxious, Okay? Some people by temperament are more anxious than another. Some people who are anxious, you understand, think all the time. They analyze it and analyze it again and analyze it again. And if you're one of those people, you can put yourself in a knot by overanalyzing your future worry at the expense of a sovereign God who is in control. So one of the verses that can help you is look at Matthew, the next one. Here's one that might be able to help you. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then Jesus asks, Are you not of more value than they? Therefore do not be, what? Anxious. You say anxious, what, what is anxiety? Well, it's a feeling you get that you feel you're going to get when you get that feeling and you feel it, okay? I think I've shared this with you in the book of James. You know this, I think. All anxiety is future. Doesn't take a, a psychologist to tell you that, okay? All anxiety has to do with everything that you're anxious about something in the future. 
Have you ever, have you ever heard that thought that sometimes the fog that can cover a whole city in London can be contained in a little two-ounce glass of water? But that little two-ounce glass of water, when it turns into fog, can co- that, that's what anxiety can do. And you're anxious about the future. And I'm reading you a scripture where Isaiah says, God says, fear not, I'm with you. Fear not, I'm going to be with you. And here he says, do not be anxious. And you know this one in Matthew 6.34. Memorize this one. Do not be anxious about what? Tomorrow, right? All anxiety. Just just think about it. You, You just lock in your mind, write down on your notes now. What are you anxious about? You anxious about your marriage? You anxious about your divorce? You anxious about your kid? You're 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 careening into the future. And listen, the only thing that can keep us sane as a biblical church is to recognize that God is in sovereign control of all these things. But listen, be careful that you don't let tomorrow's worries take today's joys. Okay. You're going to be anxious. And he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. I think there's the next one in Matthew chapter 10. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your what? Father, in other words, he's reasoning a little tiny bird that when the little bird falls to the ground, the father knows, are you not more significant than a sparrow? So for that man in my opening illustration to come up to that wife and come up to that mother and said God had nothing to do with this accident. That's a recipe for disaster, beloved. How much would it help you to know that even the great blessings of our life and the great things that happen with difficulty and trial come to us from a Father who loves us, who wants our good and will get glory all at the same time. It says... There, I don't show it, but it's in Matthew 10, if you want to write it down, 31. Fear not, therefore. Just don't fear, because he's in control. Philippians, you know this one. I was reciting this one yesterday. They minister to me more than I could minister to the Petersons, because they're bringing Josh home. But we just reviewed this scripture yesterday. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. You know, some of you moms might be worried about our country. Do not be anxious about what? Anything. Now, I'm not saying don't be concerned. I'm not saying don't be involved. I'm not saying don't be active. But don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, depression can set in even in the life of a believer when you analyze and analyze and overanalyze and you forget that God's in sovereign control over every nation and every event in your life. You say, well, what can I do right now then, Pastor? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, Is it Proverbs 3, 5? Trust in the Lord with all your, what? Heart and lean not in your own under, what? Standing. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your what? Your path straight. Take it to the Lord. Listen, beloved, God is before all things. He created all things. He upholds all things. He's above all things. He knows all things. He can do all things. He rules all things. He's in control of all things. Our God, beloved, is sovereign. Amen? And his greatest display of that was on the cross of Jesus Christ. If you think a tragic evil has happened to you, and I don't want to make light of that, men are wicked, 
But our promise of the Scripture is that God will turn out even man's wicked intentions for your good and for his glory. And you keep your mind and your heart fixed on him. And praise the Lord that we have Jesus who was the lamb slain before what? The foundation of the world. He died in our place.